In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverant Family Conversation, and as always, it's great to be with all of you. I'm your host, Father Ed Broom, OMB, Oblate of the Virgin Mary. And we'd like to start off our conversation, as always, by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary has many beautiful titles, among which would be Mary is the Mother of God, Mary is the Mother of the Church, and Mary is the Mother of each and every one of us. How true. And also when we pray the we pray the Hail Holy Queen, we invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's turn to Mary and ask Mary to help us, to pray for us, and to pray with us. As we say the prayer that Mary loves most, and that prayer is the Hail Mary. So together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now let's turn to our spiritual director. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has many different titles. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Holy Spirit is also known as the gift of gifts. Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of our soul. Holy Spirit is also known as our counselor, also our consoler. Holy Spirit is also our sanctifier. We pursue the universal call to holiness that we're all called to become saints. The Holy Spirit is the key to it. He will help us to be sanctified. Holy Spirit is also known as our interior master. Our interior master. <coughs> as interior master, Holy Spirit, St. Paul reminds us, he says, we really don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans, so we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's uh, invite the Holy Spirit to be with us to give us to give us a lot of light. Also to give us to give us also. Interior fire of love to burn within our hearts. Now let's pray the prayer, the classical prayer to the Holy Spirit. So together let's say the prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. 
Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. But Lady Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Francis Xavier, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it, my friends. So, we have prayed together as a family. We pray to... Mary, we pray to the Holy Spirit, we pray to the angels, and we pray to the saints. And now I'd like to encourage all of you by another prayer. And that is, when you celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, which I'll be doing later on this evening. I'll be praying for all of you. I'd like to place you on the altar in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. That's right. I'd like to place you on the altar and offer these specific intentions for all of you. First, I'd like to pray that all of us would be open to the workings of the Holy Spirit. That would be open to the workings of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this can be our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. I'd like to pray for our families. 
for the conversion of our families and the obviously the, our family members, for the conversion of our family members, for the sanctification of our family members, the ultimate salvation of our family members. As our Lord says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? And finally, with you, I'd like to pray for the dying. It's a very special group of people that I pray for every day with you. Because when all is said and done, my friends, what's most important for us is not as St. Ignatius says, not to prefer health over sickness, not to prefer long life over short life, not to prefer riches over poverty, not to prefer honors over humiliations, not to prefer one thing over other, but to prefer what is most pleasing to God, what is most conducive for the end for which we're created, which is to praise God and to save our immortal souls and to be instrumental in helping the Lord, collaborating with the Lord, and bringing many souls to eternal salvation. There we have it. So before moving into the readings for today, which are the book of Exodus, the psalm is, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. Then we have once again, Jesus is following up, giving us parables once again. Today is a parable of the net and the fish which our Lord says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who throws a net into the sea and he, and he pulls in a lot of fish. Some are good, some are bad. The, the good are put in buckets, the others are thrown away. So it will be at the end of time. God will celebrate the wicked from the good. The wicked will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And the good will be taken up to heaven to be with God for all eternity. In the first reading, we have Moses, uh, Moses who, who, who goes to the meeting tent and the cloud descends upon him. Yesterday was Moses when he would come to, in front of the people, his face would be glowing and he'd have to put a veil over his face. His face would be glowing. So here's a just, here's a brief summary of what we did yesterday. Yes, so we had the parable of the the precious pearl of infinite price. And I gave you, yesterday I actually gave you an acronym. And the acronym is the following. 
pearl. You see that pearl? Pearl, the three, the the five letters P, E, A, R, L. You want to have a pearl in your life. You want to have a pearl in your hearts. You want to have a pearl in your souls. So there we have it. P stands for prayer. E stands for Eucharist. A stands for adoration. R stands for reparation. And L stands for love. Once again, the acronym for PEARL. P stands for prayer. E stands for Eucharist. A stands for adoration. R for reparation. And L stands for love. We, if we're going to be a, a precious pearl in the crown of Mary in heaven, we have to try to live out this pearl. Try to live out this acronym in your life. You might even copy it and post it on your refrigerator and show it to your children. P for prayer. Let's try to grow in our prayer life. St. Augustine says, He who prays well, lives well. He who lives well, dies well. He who dies well, all is well. Eucharist. Let us hunger for the Eucharist. Psalm 41.1 As the deer yearns for the running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord my God. Before or after the celebration of the Eucharist in Holy Mass, adoration. Let us make it a habit to practice Eucharistic adoration. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Oh, sacrament most holy. Oh, sacrament divine. Oh, praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Let's get in the habit of making Eucharistic adoration. In our parish, Monday through Friday, at 1 o'clock to 6, we have Eucharistic adoration in the main church, and people are coming in. We are called, St. Ignatius says, we're called to adore the Lord. Man is created to praise God, which another name for praise would be to adore In the following letter, R is for reparation. We have to repair for the many sins that hurt God. Well, Lady Fatima said, stop sinning. You're hurting God too much. Tomorrow happens to be the first Friday of the month of August. It's the first Friday. Jesus uh, told St. Margaret Mariella Cook to live out the first five first Fridays, the nine first Fridays, and to make a communion of reparation for the sins against the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Jesus said to St. Margaret Mary Cook, He said to her, Behold, Behold, 
Behold, the heart that loves so much but only receives ingratitude, indifference, and coldness. So, here we have the acronym, and last is love. Love is the great, love is the greatest, oops, love is the greatest of all, of all virtues. If we're praying, if we're going to Mass, if we're adoring God, we're repairing for the sins and we should love God, but also love our neighbor. And our model is the Blessed Virgin Mary. She received Christ into her heart in the Annunciation when she said, Behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Then out of love she brought Christ to others by visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Hopefully you'll like this Hopefully you'll like this, this acronym. Yeah, you might even make this into a plaque or laminate it and put it on your refrigerator door so that when your children see it, this, this, is, this calls to mind why they're here. P for prayer. E for Eucharist. A for adoration. R for reparation. And L for love. So I like to pray that all of you will have, all, I pray that all of you will be a pearl in the crown of the Blessed Virgin Mary to praise, adore, and worship God in heaven for all eternity. So hopefully this will become part of your spiritual dynamics with your family and your, and your children. There we have it. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to start with the first reading, give you a summary of it, an explanation and an application. This is my style to take sacred scripture to give to give an explanation and then an application in our lives. So yesterday and today we have Moses who's going to the meeting tent. He's going to the meeting tent and he spends time in prayer before the Lord. And when he goes there, a cloud covers him. And as we mentioned yesterday, when he came out, Moses' face was shining. It was radiating. So this is a symbol of the real presence. God was present for Moses and the Israelites in the desert, in the meeting tent. That would be the Ark of the Covenant. 
Then eventually, through King Solomon, the Temple of Jerusalem would be built. A majestic, beautiful temple that was built starting in the kingdom of, of Solomon. All of, and people would go to visit the temple to worship God. We, as followers of Christ, we are called to do the same, the same thing, but a deeper way. Was that meeting tent, that meeting tent of Moses, was a symbol of the real presence. And there's a big difference between symbol and reality. If I pull out a photo, for example, you're looking at me now on YouTube or you're following me on Facebook, Facebook, but I'm not really present to you in flesh and blood. But if you go to church this evening at 6, you'll actually see me in person. So in a certain sense, this is kind of a symbol of the, the tent of meeting where Moses would go and encounter God. But we have, my friends, we have the real presence That's right, we have the real presence. So let's talk about the real presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The real presence. So, after you, after you do this, you pray, you go to Mass and receive the Eucharist. Then you're called the last three letters. You, the last three letters you can apply to, to visiting the Real Presence. You want to adore the Lord in the tabernacle. You want to offer up reparation for the sins against the most sacred heart of Jesus and the Eucharist. And then you, you want to tell the Lord that you love him. So everything is, is really interconnected in this acronym. We want to learn how to pray. The greatest of all prayers is the Eucharist and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. The greatest action we can do is to receive communion in holy, in, receive holy communion. Then we're called to adore the Lord. We're called to repair for our sins and the sins of the whole world. And the greatest of all virtues is the virtue of love. We can also say love is charity. Charity is supernatural love. So, that being the case, Let's talk. Let's talk about the real presence 
let's talk about the real presence today. You see what I'm doing? I'm making the connection between Moses and the meeting tent, Moses and the Ark of the Covenant, Moses and his successors will be David and uh, Solomon in building the temple. These are these are mere symbols or representations, but we have we have the real thing. So let's talk about the real presence. Every time you go to Mass and the ordained priest takes the bread and takes the wine and says the same words that Jesus Christ said 2,000 years ago at the Last Supper in the Cynical. When Jesus said, Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. That's called the consecration. St. Thomas Aquinas offers, offers us these word, this word. Maybe you've heard this word before. It's called transubstantiation. I wonder if you can say that word. It's a long word. Transubstantiation. You've probably heard the word transubstantiation. What is transubstantiation? It means after the double consecration, the priest lifts up the bread and the wine. Perfect. Uh, Carmen and you already wrote you wrote it really well. It's kind of a long word, but it's important that we learn that word as Catholics. Is that when the consecration happens, the accidents or the appearance seem to be bread and wine. And when you receive communion, you receive the real presence. Truly, substantially, really, you you receive the real presence of Jesus Christ. Not just a symbol, but the real presence. So when you receive communion, it, it tastes like bread. It feels like bread. It smells like bread. It breaks like bread. But it's not bread. It's the real presence. Therefore, I never like it when people go and say, I'm going to go up and get the bread and the wine. You shouldn't say that. Maybe you've heard people, not with bad will, but lack of uh, lack of education. That I'm going to go up and get the bread and the wine. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say that. I'm going to go up and get the bread and wine. I say, well, go to Vons or go to Ralph's or go go for go to food for or go to Black Angus and get your bread and wine there. Sorry, we have no bread and wine. We have the real presence. The real presence in the moment of transubstantiation. 
Now, after Mass, at the end of Mass, the hosts, the consecrated hosts, are placed in the tabernacle. Originally, a little bit of church history, originally the hosts were reserved in the tabernacle for this primary purpose. For the sick people, for the sick people, so that those sick people who could not go to church on Sunday you would have the deacon or the priest go and bring those sick people, the consecrated host, the real presence in their homes. Or in the back early, early centuries, the Christians that were in jail, incarcerated, with the permission of the jailer, they would bring the host so that they could receive communion in jail. That was the original, that was the original intention of reserving the host in the tabernacle. But in time, it evolves such that God in the church allowed for the host to be present in the tabernacle so that we could come and we could practice our Eucharistic adoration. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. First thing is this. With respect to Eucharistic adoration, I think we have to augment our faith, augment or strengthen our faith in the real presence. How many Catholics, how many Catholics don't even know about the real presence? Now you might be surprised. You might be surprised how many Catholics don't even know what the real presence is. You, be, you might be surprised. I've heard statistics that say something like 20% of the Catholics really have real belief in the real presence. That is called a Catholic Eucharistic identity crisis. Do you like that? I'll repeat. That is called a Catholic Eucharistic Identity Crisis. Do you like the terminology? I'll repeat. That is called a Catholic Eucharistic Identity Crisis. That's a long phrase, but it's, it's very true. And if Catholics don't know what the Mass is, the Catholics don't know what the Eucharist is, Catholics don't know what consecration is, Catholics don't know the essence of transubstantiation, even though maybe maybe they can't pronounce the long word. Then we and those people enter into crisis, and they drift away from the church, and they no longer they no longer practice their faith. Martha wrote it: Catholic Eucharistic identity crisis. Do you like that? That's right, the Catholic 
Eucharistic identity crisis. Therefore, you people in the Perseverance family, you're called not only for you to follow me for your ongoing formation, for your permanent formation, but you're called to be you're called to be apostles. You're called to be evangelists. You're called to be catechists. Let's invite you always to share my message to your friends afterward. I invite you to share this message with your friends so that you will become you'll become a a Catholic evangelist, a Catholic catechist. So And I and I'll just expound upon that a little bit more. I said perhaps eighty percent Well, the Catholics do not really understand what what uh, what Eucharistic what the what the Eucharist is, and the proof I would say would be in this. When I was a child, when I was a child, I would say probably about eighty. 80 to 85 percent of the Catholics would go to Mass on Sunday. Meaning it was an exception to the rule. It was an exception to the rule to meet Catholics that would not go regularly to Mass on Sunday. Remember, all of my friends in New York and New Jersey when I was a child and a teenager, they would always go to Mass on Sunday. Never miss Mass on Sunday. Now, now you might get 20% of the Catholics to go to Mass on Sunday. I heard a story the other day from Patrick Madrid. He said that he was with his family in Europe and he's visiting a city in, 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 in Spain. A fair what a fairly prominent city in Spain. May have been uh, Madrid or one of the big cities, uh, well-known cities in Madrid. And he and his family, it was Sunday, they were looking for a church to go to Mass. And there was a huge, beautiful, majestic church but no one was in it. And he bumped into someone in the church there and he asked, is, he asked, is there a Mass here on Sunday? And the person said, yes, but it's not in the upper church, but below there's a crypt. There's a smaller church or a chapel. So he said, he went down and he's got he's got uh, eleven kids. He went down with his wife and his children, and there was just there was a, a mass going on with a priest and a few older people. 
when he came with his whole family, it's like the double the number of the parishioners there. But on the upper level, on the upper level, the church could probably contain about a thousand people. There was there was no mass. And that's the situation in, I would say, most of Europe, is that in most of Europe, which was the center of Catholicism for for centuries, the faith has been all but lost. Maybe it does make us sad, however, it is a reality. We should be thankful that still in the United States, Still in the, in the United States, still we have we have pockets of fervor. For example, I mentioned this. This was in Spain on Sunday. Maybe there were with Patrick Madrid family, maybe twenty people in the mass. Last night I had the six p.m. mass in Spanish. Then I had my spiritual exercise program. I would say that there were probably probably at least 125 people in a daily Mass on Wednesday. In a daily Mass on Wednesday, probably had a good 125, 130 people. This is just a, a normal, ordinary time daily Mass in the middle of the summer. So there is still hope. You know, a, a daily Mass... This is one of our four masses, and it had uh, way over a hundred people. And these people that came to the mass, they really believe. They believe in the real presence. So, my friends, we're talking about Moses and going to the Moses going to the tent of meeting where he encounters God. In the Gospel, where Jesus speaks about the dragnet, we have the good fish and the bad fish. When we're talking about the real presence, we're talking about the real presence of Christ. So I'd like to mention a few details on the real presence. Okay. Tomorrow, August 4th, the church celebrates one of the greatest saints in the Catholic Church. The greatest priest. His name is St. John Maria Vianney. And St. John Maria Vianney I'll try to bring, um, tomorrow I'm going to try to bring you a surprise. I'm going to try to bring the, I have a first class relic of the Curie of Aris. So tomorrow in a Perseverance class family, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to bring for you into my studio a first class relic of the Curie of Aris. 
and I'll be able to bless you with, it's a little bone from the curie of ours. What a blessing. My mother was able to obtain this for me because I spend many hours in the confessional, so he's my one of my pa- favorite patron saints. But talking about the real presence related to the curie of ours, And some of you are, some of you are are, are are glad about that. I will I will try to do that tomorrow. I will show that to you and give you a blessing with the relic of the curie of ours. A relic of the curie of ours. Now related to the. So the real presence and the cure of ours is the following. Listen to this uh, story. When the cure of ours arrived at his parish, as the new parish uh, pastor, the church was dilapidated. The church was in shambles. The church was dirty. And this was the wake of the French Revolution, where... The French Revolution, they tried to eliminate religion in France. The government tried to eliminate. So they're trying to close down the churches. After the French Revolution was over, France had to be restored. The religion of France had to be restored. And the cure of ours enters into a a forlorn rural parish in Ars. And the church is basically, in, as we said, in shambles. What did the curie of ours do? The curie of ours, he had a rectory where there was a his bedroom, there was a bed, there was a couch. There. He got rid of the bed. He got rid of all the luxuries and lived extreme poverty. He lived extreme poverty for himself. In the rectory. Sometimes he'd eat one or two potatoes a day. So, the cure of ours looking at his dilapidated church. He traveled, I think it was to Lyons and Paris, two prominent cities. And he purchased for his church, his parish, some of the most beautiful vestments and tabernacle and ornaments. Why? The reason being was that he believed that for the Lord, for the Lord, we should try to give the Lord the best. Give the Lord the best. Whereas for himself, he always chose the worst. Because there in the tabernacle, there in the tabernacle, that's the house of God. It's the house of God, the Lord of Lord, 
in the King of Kings, we should always try to give him the best. Give him the best. For the Lord, the best. So that's the first point I'd like to highlight in our conversation on the real presence. When the churches, when the Catholic churches are beautiful, beautiful stained glass windows, beautiful statues, beautiful altar, beautiful crucifixes, beautiful stations of the cross, beautiful chalices, beautiful ciborium, all these beautiful elements which are made to beautify the church, what we're really doing is we're beautifying. We're beautifying the body and blood of Christ. Venerable Fulton Sheen tells this story. He says when when the woman who had the precious ointment, nard, and women would, would actually wear a bottle of nard around their necks, the woman broke the bottle and poured the precious ointment over the feet of Christ. And the perfume, the perfume of the ointment spread throughout the whole house. Judas Iscariot said, why all this waste? This could have been, this could have been sold. We could have gotten the money and given the money to the poor. Jesus defended the woman and said, the poor you always have with you, but me you do not. And Fulton Sheen says this anointing of this woman with this precious nard or perfume is a symbol of what we should do in our Catholic churches if we have the means to give the Lord the best. To give the Lord the best. For my 30th anniversary, my mother bought me a chalice, a very, a very beautiful chalice. First, I was resistant, said, Mom, you don't have to do that. But I, she said, I want to do that. So she purchased a very beautiful chalice for me, a golden chalice, which I, I don't use always, but on special occasions, I use that chalice. And the thought of my mother was this, well, in that chalice, what do you have in the chalice? It's not simply wine, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, all we possibly can do, all we possibly can do to, to embellish, to beautify, to magnify, to glorify, the real presence, we're talking about the real presence today, all we possibly can to do to magnify, glorify, embellish, beautify the house of God, let's do it. This is not to say that if 
in a, in a very poor area of town or poor countries where the chapel is just a shack and just a poor wooden tabernacle. It's not to say that God is displeased with that because Jesus was born in the stable of Bethlehem. That's right. He was born in the stable of Bethlehem. However, if it is possible to give the Lord better, let's give the Lord better. And not capitulate to what some of the people say attacking the Catholic Church. Oh, the Vatican has a lot of money. The Vatican has a lot of wealth. You should sell everything in the Vatican. Maybe you've heard this argument. Sell everything in the Vatican and give all that money to the poor. That's one of the oldest arguments you've heard against beautifying the church. So for the Lord, let's give the Lord the best. Give the Lord the best. My friends, we're talking about the real presence today. Now, when you come into the church in front of the real presence, come in with great an attitude of great reverence and respect for the real presence. Let me tell you a story. I think this story will touch you. Years ago when I went to the university, uh, I went to Villanova University in Philadelphia. And Villanova is a Catholic university run by the Augustinian priests. And there on campus, on Lancaster Avenue, you had the Church of St. Thomas of Villanova. But there in the very middle of the campus when I was back there in the 70s, there was a chapel called the Core Chapel. Where you had the Mass celebrated by one of the chaplains, and then you would have the Tabernacle. In the tabernacle, you would have the real presence. I was dealing with on campus, I don't know if you have them in California, but they're called, they're called the Campus Crusaders for Christ. And they're in Philadelphia, in Villanova, Penn State, a lot of the universities. They are spreading like wildfire. Born-again Christians often trying to convert Catholics to their religion. One of them was a friend of mine. His name was Dave. And Dave was not baptized. But he was honestly searching for the truth. So he went to the Campus Crusader for Christ and was reading the Bible, but he was looking into Catholicism. He was honestly looking into Catholicism. And never forget what he said. He, he asked me, Do you, you as Catholics, in your church, you've got the tabernacle and you have what's called the You've got the hosts there, and the hosts are supposed to be the real presence. Is that is that the truth? 
said, Dave, you're right. You're right in your studies. That's true. Then he reasoned. He said, well, if I really believe that, he didn't have belief as of yet in the real present, but he was studying it. He said, if I really believe that, then I would not, I would not walk, I would not walk in front of your tabernacle, but I would crawl. He said, I would crawl out of great reverence and respect for the real presence, which is truly, it is truly Jesus Christ. It is truly those four words, the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That experience and that conversation with Dave left a deep impression upon me. We who are Catholics, we do not appreciate the real presence. We don't. We can forget this most sublime gift that is given to us by God. We forget really what the real presence is. That's why some of you have written this down. I mentioned earlier that we're suffering from what is called, in my words, I've, I, I'm the one that has created this terminology. It's a Catholic Eucharistic identity crisis. I know it's a long phrase, but I think it's I'm hitting the nail on the head. It is a Catholic Eucharistic identity crisis. So let's pray, my friends, that we would praise, adore, and worship the real presence. And invite all of you, my friends, and perseverance, please share our presentation with your friends. Perhaps one of your friends who's drifted away from the real present will come back as a result of you sharing our message to the whole world. So may God bless you. And tomorrow, God willing, I'll be able to bring to my studio here the first class relic of the saint we celebrate tomorrow. Now that saint is the great Saint John Maria Vianney, the Curie of Ars. And I hope to bless you with that. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.